the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In everything, we are to not grumble or dispute, which means to argue. And not only that, but we are to do it continually. The, the Greek tense is do it and keep doing it. The thought is this, everything you do should be done without grumbling or disputing, and you are to do this all the time. Now, most of us are able to do some things without complaining, but everything, that's the standard. You say, I can't do that. Yes, you can, because it is God who works in you, both to will and to work of his good pleasure. And that good pleasure is obedience in terms of unity. Grumbling, murmuring, muttering under our breath, slamming doors and drawers while we lament the injustices of life. We have all done it, but God doesn't like it. Christians are not any more immune to the temptation of grumbling than the Hebrews were in the desert during their exodus from Egypt. How can we and why should we avoid the trap of feeling sorry for ourselves? We will consider that today on Verse by Verse. Hello, this is Peter Silseth, and our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His expository messages have challenged and encouraged the people of Lakeside since 1981. And now through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries, they are available to you through this great radio station. For the past several days, Pastor Steve has been teaching about the relationship between obedience to the Lord and unity in our churches. Our source text is chapter 2 of Philippians, and for the next three days we will be focusing on verses 14 through 16. If we obey the Lord but do it grudgingly, is that true obedience, not by God's standards? As we will see today, we are to be servants who serve Him and one another without complaint. Here is Pastor Steve now with our lesson. A few years ago, I read a book entitled Three Steps Forward and Two Steps Back. The author of that book is Dr. Charles Swindoll, well-known pastor, Bible teacher, radio Bible teacher. And uh, Three Steps Forward, Two Steps Back was one of his earlier books. One of the chapters in that book opens with one of Chuck Swindoll's favorite children's books and characters. So let me read it to you. And I think I've mentioned this young lad before. He writes, one of my all-time favorite children's books is entitled Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. This little kid named Alexander, probably not more than seven or eight years old, has one of those days. I mean, nothing goes right. He has back-to-back disappointments and tragedies like you can't imagine. It's one continuous downer. The dear little guy can't win for losing. Take, for example, when he awakes in the morning. And he quotes Alexander. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running. And I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. 
Swindoll continues, after a terrible day at school, a horrible visit with the dentist, and a no-good stop at the shoe store, Alexander slumps in his chair at the supper table. His troubles continue. There was lima beans for dinner, and I hate limas. There was kissing on TV, and I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain. I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. I hate my railroad train pajamas. When I went to bed, Nick took back the pillow he said I could keep, and the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out, and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not with me. It has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And then Swindoll concludes with this statement. No wonder that our little, our little friend sighs at the end of the day, a day like that, and says, I think I'll move to Australia. Now, I don't know about you, but I could relate to Alexander in those horrible days, and I think all of us can, because we've all had not only days like Alexander had, but sometimes those days seem to stretch into weeks and months, and for some of us, a long time. And if we're not careful, we're not careful the continual problems and rough experiences of life can turn us into self-centered people who only think about themselves and only think about their problems and their marbles going down the drain and their sweater falling down and gum sticking in their hair and things like that. We can be consumed with our own troubles and our own trials, and we can forget that other people have days like this too. And we don't seem to think about anybody else. And if you put together a local church made up of people who are only into their problems and their situations and their going-ons and their things, then you're going to have inevitably conflicts and clashes between people who are into themselves. Now, that's our society, into themselves. Nobody really cares about anybody else. And if you translate that into the church, then you've got a church that's just like the world. It creates a church where people want to be served. They expect it. In fact, more than expected, they even demand it. Now, apparently, the Apostle Paul saw this happening at the church of Philippi, how deep and how much of an impression these these things had uh, made in the church at Philippi, we're not sure. But in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul gives over basically the whole chapter to dealing with this problem of church unity and harmony. And we've been focusing on that the last few weeks. He starts off in verse 2, in chapter 2, verse 2, by saying this, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. That's what he wants the church at Philippi to be. Obviously, they were not that way. Obviously, they had people who had some horrible, very bad days like Alexander, and they were really into themselves. And Paul says this can be accomplished by putting into practice verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So he says the way that you are of the same mind and maintain the same love and you're united in purpose and spirit and and so forth is to think of others and not just yourselves. But this takes the right attitude. And he calls this attitude humility of mind. And then he illustrates the attitude in verses 5 through 8. He says in verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he illustrates that Jesus Christ, being the perfect servant, 
is the perfect example of one who lays down his life and serves others. And then he speaks of the exaltation of Christ for the very reason to communicate to the Philippians and to us that we must concentrate on humility. God will take care of exalting us. Don't concentrate on exalting yourself, on getting recognition, on trying to look good in the eyes of people. God will take care of that. Now, I told you last week that when we're faced with the example of Christ, that can be overwhelming because he's a perfect example. And it's very possible that someone would read Philippians 2 and go away from that saying, I can't possibly be like Christ. This is a higher standard than I'm able to live up to. So why bother? Well, the reason that we are to bother is because the word of God says that not only uh is it possible for us to live up to that standard in terms of humility, in terms of service to others, but it is commanded for us. And so starting in verse 12 and going through verse 16, the Apostle Paul opens up the truths to us about obedience, that we can obey, we can be humble, we can serve others. We don't have to be into ourselves. We don't have to be consumed with our own problems. We don't have to sigh at the end of a day and say, I think I'll move to Australia and forget anybody else. And so let's read verses 12 through 16, because it's a unit. And I want you to understand this. It's dealing with obedience as it relates to church unity. So then, my beloved, in other words, he's connecting what he has said before. So then, so now in light of what Christ, uh, in light of his, his service and in light of his exaltation, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Paul is giving us truths on obedience. That's what this section is about, obedience as it relates to unity. And the purpose that he is, uh, he is saying this is to convince the Philippians that they can obey that they can live with the attitude that Christ displayed. And so we can't throw up our hands and say, I'm overwhelmed, I'm intimidated by Jesus Christ and his perfect example for us. No, we can be obedient. And last week we saw, the, and there are a number of truths about obedience. Last week we saw the principle of obedience, and that's found in verse 12, which we read just a moment ago about work out your salvation. The principle is this, human effort. Human effort, you work at it. You don't just say, let go and let God, and he'll work through me. And it's all of God, none of me. You know, there is a danger to having an imbalance with an understanding of, of the deeper life, an understanding of the life of Christ in us. There is a great danger. Salvation is not work at all, but it certainly leads to work. The church is not a cruise ship, it's a warship. But the ship will not have success in the war if the crew battles among themselves. God commands us to be united and he also enables us to unite. We will continue that thought in just a minute. You are listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're in the middle of a series of lessons from Chapter 2 of Philippians about church unity. Before we return to class, Pastor Steve has a learning opportunity to tell us about. 
Hi, this is Steve Kreloff from Verse by Verse Radio. I want to thank you for listening to these broadcasts. We appreciate your faithful support of this ministry. And I, and I want you to know that um, recently I've written a book about romance and marriage. It's called The Pleasures of Marriage. It's a verse-by-verse exposition of the Song of Solomon. I think it'll help your marriage. I think it'll strengthen marriages. I think it will uh, also help those who are singles, who are preparing to get married or hope someday to get married. This book is available on Amazon.com. And once again, it's called The Pleasures of Marriage. As a faithful listener to these broadcasts, I feel you should know that Verse by Verse needs your financial support, and we appreciate your financial support. It's costly to prepare these programs, and we can only continue to do so if our listeners support this ministry. So I would ask you to please consider giving a gift as a way of saying thank you to the Lord for providing this program to help you in your Christian walk. All gifts to Verse by Verse are tax deductible. You can give via PayPal on our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Or you can send your gift to Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Seven five eight. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you and strengthen you as you listen to him speak, verse by verse. Let's get back to class now and resume our treatment of that balance between our role and God's role in living out our salvation. I'm reminded of the story. I remembered it this, uh, actually I remembered it two weeks ago, but I didn't tell you, so I'll tell you now. Uh, Story is told of Dr. Harry Ironside, who was a very well-known Bible expositor, former pastor of the Moody Memorial Church in Chicago, and a very practical, down-to-earth man. He said to a Dallas seminary uh, student one day, he said, will you drive me to such and such a destination? And the student said, I'll pray about it. Can you imagine? I'll pray about it. Dr. Ironside said, don't bother. I don't want you to take me. He said, why? He said, what if the Lord leads you to take me there, but he doesn't lead you to take me back? (laughs) You see, there is a pseudo-spirituality that can go along with this attitude of, I do nothing. It's all on the Lord. No, we went over last week that God says, you do it. Paul says, I beat my body. I actually, I don't shadow box. I beat my body. I even give it a black eye. There's discipline, there's effort. There's, there's human work involved in obedience. I don't wake up and say, Lord, just live through me and I'm going to do nothing. No, I wake up and I, I say, Lord, I want to obey. Give me the grace. Give me the strength to carry it on. Paul said, I run a race. I discipline myself. He said to Timothy, lay hold of the eternal life which you possess. So there's human effort, and that's the principle that Paul is bringing out in verse 12. We are to work. We are to to... And the way he puts it is work out your salvation. That is to say that God has put salvation in you. You bring it out. You work at it. You mine out what is there. It is Christ's likeness that is in you. It is the nature of Jesus Christ himself. And you are to bring out the fruit of that divine nature. Obedience takes human effort. However, it doesn't take carnal self Effort. And that's the second truth about obedience, the power for obedience. And that's verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You're not doing it in the flesh. You're not just working up some type of carnal obedience. No, he says that the power for obedience comes from God. God enables us to obey. That's why those who have never trusted Christ can't obey. 
You say, wait a minute, I know people do what's right. Yeah, but they do it for the wrong reason. That's not obedience. You must know Christ. And once you trust Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation, then the Bible says the Spirit of God comes in you and he empowers you to do what's right. In fact, he shapes those desires and he gives you the power to obey. He's at work in us because as we take in the Word of God, the Spirit of God then uses the Word of God to shape our desires and empower us to carry out those desires. If you're not consistently in the Word of God, you are not going to have the power and the enablement to carry forth the obedience. And that's why there are so many Christians who uh, who are weak Christians, who who are defeated, who struggle all the time, and we all struggle, but they keep losing the battle, and that's because they're not disciplined. They won't discipline themselves to take in the Word of God, even a few minutes a day. To take in the Word of God in the sense that they understand what they're taking in, not just going through some legalistic thing we call a quiet time, that they're taking in in their quiet time truth that they understand. So the power for obedience is that he enables us to obey. So you can't say, well, Christ could be humble, but he's God. I can't do it. You can do it. You can serve. You can obey. He's at work in us. So now that we know the principle of obedience is effort and the power for obedience is enablement, what does God expect us to do in terms of specifics? Specifically, how can we have church harmony? What does God expect us to do? In other words, in terms of unity in the church, what should we do? Well, let's continue in verse 14, and I call this the pattern of obedience. This is the pattern. This is the standard that's set. This is what is to characterize our lives. Verse 14. Very short verse, but very, very important and packed with truth. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. In other words, since you do have God's power to obey, then do all things without grumbling or disputing. Since the power is in you, live like this. That's a very high standard. The emphasis of this verse is on the word that stands first in the Greek text, and that is all or everything. In everything, we are to not grumble or dispute, which means to argue. And not only that, but we are to do it continually. The the Greek tense is do it and keep doing it. The thought is this, everything you do should be done without grumbling or disputing, and you are to do this all the time. Now, most of us are able to do some things without complaining, but everything, that's the standard. You say, I can't do that. Yes, you can, because it is God who works in you, both to will and to work of his good pleasure. And that good pleasure is obedience in terms of unity. Now, exactly what is Paul referring to? In the Bible, the sin of murmuring, the sin of complaining is almost always associated with Israel in the Old Testament. If you've been with us for our study in the biblical flow of of history and the church uh, evening services, then you know that Israel complained. God brought them out of Egypt, and they were three days out of Egypt. They had been in bondage in Egypt, and then they said to Moses, Moses, why have you brought us into this desert? We're going to die here. They go a little bit longer. Moses, we long for the food in Egypt. We want to go back there. And there's no water here. And we're sick and tired of being here. We might as well return to Egypt. Murmuring and complaining one thing after another. And we read that and we say, three days out of Egypt and they saw the Red Sea parted. 
And they walked through that and they saw the miracle of all those, those uh, plagues that God inflicted upon the Egyptians and they have the audacity to complain. No different than us. We've been saved by grace, but we complain about God's work in our lives. Murmuring, complaining is associated in the Bible with Israel. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10.10, Paul says, now these things happened not just to understand in an Old Testament context. These things happened as examples for us that we might not murmur and complain because God struck down the Israelites in the wilderness for that. So it's a very serious sin because ultimately you're complaining against God. Ultimately. You're saying, God, I'm not content. I really don't like what you've done in my life. I really don't trust your sovereignty, nor do I care for your providence. I have a better plan. That's why it's a serious sin. In fact, there's probably, uh, apart from pride, which it, it connects with pride, there's probably no more serious of a sin than that, complaining against God. In fact, in, in Romans, I think it's Romans chapter 9, Paul speaks of an imaginary adversary who debates with God about election. And Paul says, who are you, O man, to answer God? You puny man, who do you think you are to complain to God and say, why have you made me this way? So the Israelites murmured, however... While all of that is true, and it's always a sin to murmur and complain against God's will in your life, I don't think that's what Paul is talking about here. I just wanted you to know that. In Philippians 2, and some take it that he's talking about that, but I take it that Paul isn't addressing the sin of criticizing God or a leader in the church, but the context is church unity. That, that's what he's saying before this. That's what he's saying after this. It is church unity. And what Paul is telling the Philippians is stop complaining and arguing as a church family. Stop complaining and murmuring and grumbling and arguing amongst yourselves. Now, what does he mean? What does it mean to, to grumble or murmur? Some versions translate it murmur. Some say grumble. It is one of those words which sounds like their meaning. For instance, the word hiss. If someone says, well, what does hiss mean? You just say hiss. That's what it means. Or buzz. What does buzz mean? You just say buzz. That's what it means. Or hum. Well, grumble is one of those words. And there's technical language on that. I'll spare you the details. But... Uh, for instance, I don't know how this word was invented, this word grumble or murmur, but maybe something like this. And, and it's interesting how words come into our language. But uh, perhaps a, a mother said to a child one day, I want you to go to bed. And the child said, but I don't want to go to bed, but I want you to go to bed now. And the word grumble was invented as he went upstairs and grumble, murmur, grumble, grumble. So I said, ah, Enough children are doing that. It must be in our vocabulary. And after a while, that word fits in, in our vocabulary. Now, that, that's not that far-fetched. I don't know where that word grumble came from, but it is a word which sounds like its meaning. Had to be invented somewhere like that. Well, the Greek word is ganguzmoi. Now, the only reason I tell you that is because that's one of those words, too. In, in the Greek language, it sounds like its meaning, ganguzmoi. Son, go up to bed. Ganguzmoy, ganguzmoy. Gangu Some Greek child running around saying ganguzmoy. That's, that's what this word is. It, it's, it's sort of someone uttering under their breath ganguzmoy. There's no other deep meaning to it. It just sounds like it means it's, it's ganguzmoy. Now, ganguzmoy or murmuring or grumbling is a, is, is a complaining spirit. It, it, it means it's a expression of dissatisfaction. Grumble complain, murmur, 
It's a sort of muttering in a low voice so that others don't hear you. I mean, you don't even have the guts to tell them, I disagree. It's, it's that type of tone. It's an angry attitude that reflects always being bothered by what someone else said or did. We will resume this subject in our next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is our instructor for these daily radio Bible classes. Verse by Verse Ministries has the pleasure of adapting his messages to radio format. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of interested listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. If you would like to hear today's class again, it's on our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. The entire message of which today's lesson was the first part is available on audio CD. To order one, please call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will get back to you during regular office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. I used to work in a factory that had a lot of high-speed automatic presses. They all ran at nearly the same speed, but of course they could not be perfectly synchronized. Every once in a while, several of them in my vicinity would hit at the same time for just a few seconds. I could tell because I felt the concrete floor start to bounce up and down under my feet. Then they would get out of sync and the vibration would stop. That's the power of unity. Join us for the next verse by verse. Pastor Steve has some practical examples of the effect of unity or disunity on the kingdom of God. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs> 